Our guest today, who I'm so excited to be speaking to, is Polina Marinova, the founder of The Profile, which is a weekly newsletter that compiles the best long-form stories on successful people and companies. You can find it at readtheprofile.com. And prior to going full-time on The Profile, Polina was an editor at Fortune Magazine for five years and the author of Term Sheet, which was Fortune's daily newsletter about deals and dealmakers, which I'm an avid reader of. Polina also studied journalism at the University of Georgia and also interned at USA Today and CNN. We're very excited for today's show because we have three out of three of the panelists here as members of a newsletter writers collective that we call Type House. And a quick plug is that the show is- We're just as, I was about to say, we're just as bit as cool as Hype House after which we <laughs> Yeah. We are the folks, the version of Hype House that is not videogenic, and so we just type behind our screens. We also <laughs> do little dances as we type. Right, exactly. We <laughs> yeah. lip sync while we type. Yeah. Really great. <laughs> and a quick plug that this show is brought to you by the Everything Newsletter Bundle, which you can find at everything.substack.com. And so the structure of the show is going to be for the first 30 minutes or so, Nathan and I are going to have a discussion with Paulina. And then for the rest of the time, we'll switch over to audience questions and bring you up on stage here to ask your questions. So without further ado, let's dive in. Thank you so much, Paulina, for being here today. I'm so excited. Awesome. I first want to kick it off by asking you about your journey to writing the profile full-time. Mm -hmm. So you had a pretty sweet gig as an editor at Fortune Magazine. It's probably a role that many journalism students covet and aspire to one day. What led you to start the profile and how did you decide to go full-time on it? Yes, so I'm glad it's you that's asking me this question because <laughs> you didn't know it at the time, but your article on 100 True Fans really kind of like led my thought process in that direction. but. Basically, I, I spent five years at Fortune, but I started the profile in 2017 in February. So I've been doing it for three years. And when I started it, never in my wildest dreams did I think this is a newsletter that I am starting with the intention to for it to ever become a business. I just started it because I loved profiles and I loved long form journalism and my friends and I would just message each other back and forth like interesting stories we had read. So I was like, why don't I compile this into a weekly newsletter? And it's really funny if you look at the first editions of the profile back in 2017 versus now. I mean, it went from like my voice and the tone. It was totally written for my mom and my mom's friends. It was like, hey guys, like this is what I had for lunch today. It was a great day. It's really <laughs> funny. And, and as I saw people who I didn't know signing up, I was like, oh my God, I, you know, I have to tone it down a little bit, become a little bit more um, professional. But, but it, it's largely stayed the same. Like the spirit of the profiles, it, it's basically the same, even the format. But when I started doing it in 2017, I just really, really enjoyed it. And I looked it up before this call. It's been 188 weeks since I started it and I've never missed a wow. week. So Amazing. readers, yeah, it's only 188 because like, you know, it's not every day. But and in one of those weeks recently, you got married. Yeah. That's so like, and you still put out a profile. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So there have been so many like life changes and there have been certain times where it would have been like so much easier to not do it. Like one time I was um, flying to Bulgaria and I mean, it's like 11 hours and I was supposed to uh, finish it and publish it. And I was in like Amsterdam at the airport finishing it, but it's like, 
in those times, I just know that I'll lose trust with the reader if I don't deliver week after week. And to me, that's the most important thing. So then in January of 2020, I started thinking about like, I didn't start, I didn't even think like, what would the profile look like as a business? I started thinking about it as like, what would the profile look like if I dedicated a hundred percent of my time to it? Not mm. just weekends, not just time on the subway, not just, you know, evenings, but like a hundred percent of my time. And this thought experiment, the second I started thinking about it, the second that I started reading things and listening to things that just continued to reaffirm that desire kind of. So for example, I listened to at the time a podcast with the writer of the browser. He went on and did a podcast with David Perot. So I listened to that. I was like, oh my God, like he made it work. This is amazing. Then Lee's article on the true fans. And I was just like, the universe is pointing me into this. Exactly. I'm sure there were just as many signs as to why I shouldn't do it. Like, you know, I wrote term sheets. So every day I would talk to founders and investors who were like 10 year cycles, there's a recession on the horizon. Like, and I was just like, do I really want to quit my job and start something when there's probably a recession? Little did I know what COVID would bring. But so in January, I started thinking about it. It was, I was, it was a little bit miserable because I would, one day I would wake up and I'd be like, yes, I'm doing it. And then I would go to sleep and be like, absolutely not. I know the feeling. It's terrible, right? It's like a seesaw of mental awfulness. And, and and this is the craziest thing. So Anthony, my now husband was like, okay, I'm done listening to you go back and forth. Just like set a date. You know, if you really want to do this, set a date in your calendar, like when you're going to tell fortune you're leaving. And I was like, that's never going to happen. But I I have a planner, like a physical planner. So I ended up just circling March 20th. And this is what blows my mind. I completely, I I didn't even, I forgot about that. I forgot that I did that. I continued my seesawing. And then finally, like, I was just like, I'm going to do it. I woke up one day, I was ready. I was complete. I think just in the background, my mind had, (laughs) I don't know what was doing, but I finally decided. And I told Fortune on like March 1st or 2nd, it was that very first week of March, and I gave them like three weeks notice. My last day was March 20th, which is that day that I had circled, which is like insane. But but it it just like, once I, I listened to this other thing that said basically like, people torture themselves with indecision. The second you make a decision either way, you can just like relax and life becomes so much better. So whether, you know, I had decided to stay, or to leave. And the question that pushed me over the edge was, I asked myself, if I stay at Fortune for another five years, I've already been there for five. If I stay there for another five, will I have learned more than if I leave, do the profile, fall flat on my face, will I have learned more from that? In the the latter experience is actually what I thought I would learn more from. And honestly, if if I hadn't done it now, I would have I would have never done it. Mm. Well, you picked a pretty crazy time to go (laughs) full-time into the profile. I think March 1st and March 20th, those dates pretty much correspond to the U.S., like starting to freak out Mm -hmm. about COVID and then leading to, you know, a lot of journalists being placed on furlough or losing their jobs, not not just in journalism, but across every industry. and. So you, you picked a crazy market to dive in as an independent creator. I'm also curious about, you know, now that you've been at it full time for a few months, 
like what can people sort of expect in the upcoming years for the profile? What is your ultimate vision for what it becomes, say, a year from now or five years from now? So I'm glad you're asking me this today and not a week ago because my answer would have been wildly different. I used to think, I used to like the Netflix, Glossier, Amazon model, right? They started with curating products and then over time they created their own and began inserting their own products where they used to curate. So Netflix did this with movies, Glossier did it with its own products, Amazon, same thing. What I thought I wanted to do was right now I have nine slots of curated articles. I am taking other people's articles and I am recommending them. Over time, I thought I wanted to do original profiles where there would be profile originals and those slots would be filled with some of profile originals, the rest would be curated. Yeah. But this week, I do something called the profile dossier, which comes out every Wednesday and it is a deep dive on an, an individual person. And the person I profiled this week was uh, Grant Ackett. There's a great Netflix uh, documentary called Chef's Table. He's one episode. It is mind-blowingly amazing. So I watched that, and then I did a dossier on him. And it kind of made me rethink what I want to do with the profile because of how creative and original of a thinker he is. I realized I wasn't original. I was just doing what everybody else is doing because that's the way it's always been done. His question was, he loves art. So he was in a museum and he saw an, a really massive art piece. I don't know if that's what you got. An art yeah. piece, okay. okay. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it had all these different colors and strokes and all this stuff. He saw it and he was like, I wanna eat off of that. Basically like who says that we need to eat out of plates and bowls and silverware? Like who says we can't just eat off the tablecloth? And if that's the case, if you're not constrained by plate manufacturers, why can't you create a meal experience where you know the, the, the person who comes to the restaurant sees like a beautiful display? It's almost like an art going to a museum except you're having a dining experience. Yeah. So he was able to take that and, and think from a place where it's truly original. I've never thought about why we eat from plates. I just like assumed that's what you always did. In my case, I asked myself the question, why do I assume that I know what a profile is? Why are we assuming that this medium, literally a magazine profile, yeah. has largely stayed the same? It's mostly text. Yes, sometimes people can like throw in a video or an audio in a piece, but the main attraction is the text. And I started thinking about like, what, what has innovated there? Literally nothing. What newspapers and magazines did was they took the print, they took a print article and they slapped it on a website and it's all text. It's not a good experience if you're in 2020. And so my idea now is like, what makes a profile a profile? Mm. And I, I feel like there is a better way to have the reader understand somebody's life and be more immersed in their journey than they are now just through text just through video and just through audio i don't know what that looks like yet but i'll let hmm. you know. oh, I love <laughs> so you're it. gonna become a vr producer yeah. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> a hologram i love that i think this is so cool for two reasons one just like the idea of the way that we tell stories and share information being essentially digital copies of things of formats that were invented in analog eras for analog mm -hmm 
distribution technologies is like so fascinating to me. I think we're still in like the very earliest stages because like culture evolves a lot more slowly, um, especially when it revolves around like, you know, skilled practice and expertise or whatever, right? Like then, then the technology does, like it takes a while for us to figure out how to properly yeah. use a new art form and like the internet, computers, phones, like these are, these are really new art forms. They're not just new technologies. But then the second thing is it on a meta level, it illustrates the power of a good profile, doesn't it? <laughs> Exactly. Like, because, oh, it's, there's no better advertisement for your product than like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you just great. never know when you're, where your idea is going to come from. And it's like, you know, seeing that people think in ways like that, I'm just like, my mind is one. To him, it's probably obvious. Like, of course, he's going to question everything. And to me, it should be obvious as a journalist. But I am amazed at how many things we just take for granted every day. Yeah. I love this notion of just completely rethinking the format and going beyond what it has traditionally been and making it more native and more immersive and constantly pushing towards richer and richer ways of storytelling. Yes. Um, and yeah, I that segues well to another question that I had for you, which is, I was stalking you on LinkedIn. I think you started working in media, at least professionally, around 2013, which is when you graduated. And obviously the media landscape just in those past seven years has changed dramatically. We've had the rise of aggregators like Facebook and Apple News becoming the consumer destinations for consuming content rather than going to a specific media company's website. There's been a lot of misinformation. There's been new formats like short videos invented. I'm really curious on your thoughts around the major changes in media in the past decade and specifically around like what does the tech community not get right about it or what are some of the misconceptions that you see as you bridge the two worlds of tech and startups and traditional media yeah so this is so interesting so i was actually I graduated from the University of Georgia in 2013. I was in the journalism school and I was the last person to grad, like the last generation, whatever, last class to graduate with a degree in newspapers. It wasn't a degree in journalism or news. It wow. literally said newspapers. Did they change um, that after you yeah, graduated? They changed it immediately <laughs> after I graduated. But even then I was like, this is a little, but I, it, so the professors that I really admired were like, the reporter's reporter. They were so all about ethics and doing things right. And like the whole idea, if they had seen aggregators and like, or, or one media company taking what another media company, uh, an article they did and summarizing it without their own sources, without picking up a phone, like they'd be appalled. And I mean, this is just, it happens all the time now. Like yeah. there's very, little, there's a lot of content, there's very little original content. And um, I think that, here's what I think. I think that the biggest thing that the media world, the traditional media world is about to get a crash course in is that their best writers, they're, they're not tied to them for benefits and for whatever, because we're seeing platforms like Substack rise and they're gonna be offering some of those things that traditional um, media companies do. So if that's the reason you're staying, it's just a little bit backwards. And also the biggest trend I think is that people trust people. I probably, you know, 
wherever I get my news, a big traditional media company, I probably would subscribe to my favorite reporter there, but I wouldn't, I don't want the whole thing. I don't need all that content in my life. I want to subscribe to, you know, Katie Weaver at the New York Times uh, because she brings me profiles. I love profiles. Like I don't want all of everything else. We'll see, we'll see if that trend accelerates, but I really, I really do think it is. I mean, we're all examples of it. And I think the allure of working at a big organization is gonna start to go away. Although now with bundles, we're seeing like these really talented people come together and offer, you know, their various perspectives in a single bundle. I think that that's gonna be the future of large media organizations, but I mean, from 2013 to today, like a lot of shit has gone down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. So, I'm, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You can <laughs> I'm go too first. I'm curious. I'm really, I mean, selfishly, I have, a, I have a very personal interest in, I'm curious, like the dynamics of like, you know, sort of like writer collectives, bundles, whatever you want to call them, you know, versus a traditional media, like kind of like structure versus like, you know, totally independent. Like, I'm curious Mm -hmm. what you see the pros and cons as of all those different approaches and like, whether you think some models will be more successful than others or more prominent than others. Like, I'm just, I'm really curious to hear hear your perspective on that. I think you've got a unique vantage point for it. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. So I think that I mean, the reason I'm not part of a bundle right now and the reason I'm still independent is because I think that, well, part of it is just like the honeymoon period of I just left a big organization. I want to do something on my own. But the other part is that I, I think you need to build up your own brand before joining something bigger. You need to see whether there's a market there for your stuff. Like if I was to join a bundle, I'd be like, wait a second, but are people paying for the profile? Like, is that attracting them? Or are they just paying because of all these other amazing people? And I think you need a little bit of that uh, trial and error before you dedicate yourself to becoming part of something. But I, I don't know. I think the future is just, I, I really do think it's going to be more, I think we're going to talk about people the same way we talk about news organizations today. Like, yeah. I'll be able to say like, oh yeah, I subscribe to Nathan instead of, oh yeah, I subscribe to the Washington Post, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It, it's so interesting. It really reminds me of this experience that I had when I was, I was 18 years old. It was my summer after freshman year of college. I was interning at my hometown newspaper, the Pittsburgh <laughs> yeah. Post-Gazette, and the like chief business officer of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette rounds up all of the college interns that are interning in the newsroom that summer, sits us down in this conference room. And he's like, what do you guys think of the business model of news? Like, what do you think is going to get the younger generation to subscribe to newspapers? How can we fix this situation? Like what, what is happening? Tell, tell me about the youth and your news consumption habits. And we're all just like, like, (laughs) wait, (laughs) we have no idea. We're just here to like write, write interesting articles. Like I, I mean, I was so young, I had no idea of like the broader state of the industry, mm-hmm. but even then this was 2009, even then it was like the writing was on the wall. And I think since then, obviously the circulation numbers have gone down even more. And it's interesting to hear your vision of the future of the media landscape. I agree completely with what you mentioned. I think people have an affinity to other people, unlike, you know, 
it, it's just an innate human desire to relate to another person versus relating to like nameless, faceless organization. But I'm curious on your thoughts of perhaps like what gets lost in that transition. Like certainly some reporters are able mm-hmm. to build their brand. They stand out. They get fans to subscribe directly to them. But what about things like local news that no one thinks they value that highly or perhaps more investigative journalism that takes months, if not years to cultivate sources for. It sometimes doesn't pan out. There's like a, there's like a risk profile for investigative journalism where it's like, eh, there's not a story here, but someone had to investigate to find out if there was or not, you know? Right. I guess the more pithy phrasing of this question is like, does the passion economy model when applied to media cause us to lose anything? And if so, what is it? I think it does. And I think the biggest thing that you might lose if you don't surround yourself with the right people is, I mean, like journalism, (laughs) essentially, like what I'm trying to say is when I was at Fortune, I did a few profiles or I did a few stories for the print magazine. That's where like the super long investigative, like one story took me six months to write. I talked to I don't know, 40 people for it. And my first draft, I was like, oh, I've killed it. This is so good. And I turned it in and my editor was like, oh my God, I don't even know where to start here. And him having that reaction to me, it was like, oh my God, you know, like jarring. And then when I saw his edits and when I heard his questions and when I saw what he was challenging me to do with it, I was like, oh my God, like, how did I not see that before? Because a good editor can see your blind spots. They know that you're younger. You may not have as much experience, for example, talking to people who don't want to talk to you or uh, the difference between an anonymous source or speaking on background and things like that, where those lessons are very hard to learn on your own without editors, without coworkers, without yeah. another pair of eyes. Um, so what I'm hoping happens in the future is yes, yes, let's do this independent thing, but make sure that you have like a, like a personal board where you can ask somebody like, hey, you're an experienced editor of more than 30 years. Can you look at this and ask me all the questions that an editor asks? Like I need, I need legal advice. I need all right. this stuff. And you just can't do it all yourself. Totally. What are some of the most common like failure modes you see? Like of those things, like if, if, if I'm like writing a sub stack, just hypothetically, and, yeah. and I want to, you know what I mean? Like do the best I can to like be responsible and, and to do a good job. And like, I have some vague awareness of the practices. Like I've seen spotlight. I've read like yeah. some books, but like, you know what I mean? Like what's like the, where should I start basically? Or like, like what books should I read or who should I talk to? Like, yeah. Yeah. The SPJ code of ethics is a good one. Uh-huh. <laughs> so for example, I spent my whole life in journalism. I thought I knew what an anonymous source was. I thought I knew how to treat sources who were super, super nervous to talk to me, still wanted to talk to me, but like wanted to completely make sure that there was no way you could identify them in a story. And it's like, only through doing it can you truly understand that because I knew conceptually, but then there were people like, who are so nervous that you really wanted their voice, but you were like, oh, wait, maybe, you know, maybe I can, I have to treat this a different way. Um, So you learn that from practice. Another thing I learned, I think this is the biggest thing I learned at Fortune and through that editing process, it was so rigorous. Like my editor told me, your writing is sloppy because you're not 
thinking uh, precisely. My, my thinking was sloppy, therefore my writing was sloppy. I used to write a lot in absolutes. So I would use words like, everyone at Kleiner Perkins said this, everyone felt this way, no one thought this person was a good leader. And like, when you speak in absolutes, you end up writing in absolutes, and that's just false, right? Because you miss the nuance. I wrote a, a feature on Kleiner Perkins, and the, the reason I think that story turned out so well versus where it started is one, my thesis for what it was supposed to be did not pan out. I had a different idea of what I thought was going on in the firm versus what actually was going on. And that's why it takes months of talking to people to figure out um, whether it's worth pursuing or whether there's actually a story there. And two, when you become more precise and you learn to see nuance, it really benefits your writing. There was so much nuance in that story that really was just like all like super little details, but those little details get, get you as close to the truth as possible because the worst articles I read are these like massive brush strokes across, this is what type of person this is and this is what they do and this is why nobody likes them. And it's like just by saying nobody likes them and just by using certain quotes to present one type of human, you lose the reader. You lose the reader because it's like everybody's aware you and I have complexities in our personality and there's different layers and you can't describe me in one way. So that's why I steer clear of those stories. I like the stories that are very much like here are the complexities of this person and the different yeah. shades. Totally. Do you think that when people in tech, like, like, you know, people that own businesses or invest in businesses for the most part, like complain about the media that it's usually they're complaining about people doing a poor job of what you just described, or is there something else going on? <laughs> so I think oh, because when you think in nuance, you can see various sides. Like I'm an immigrant. My family moved from Bulgaria to Atlanta, Georgia. I've lived in a red state. I've gone to the University of Georgia. I've talked to people who many of them voted for Trump. I moved to New York. I saw another side of it. So like all these different life experiences show me that it's everything's so much more complicated than we want it to be. And I see people living in different realities because the, the news they consume is so black and white. It lacks the, the nuance that you need to see reality as it is. So it really upsets me that I think when people say the media is terrible, it's funny because people on both sides say it, the left and the right, and they right. say it for seemingly different reasons, but it's all the same. It's all the same because it's like, I know exactly what I'm going to get when uh, I go to CNN. I know exactly what I'm going to get when I go to Fox. And I think, Nathan, it was you who said it when you guys did that podcast on Venture Stories. You said that you go out of your way to subscribe to newsletters or read content that doesn't really align with the way you see the world. But you're like, damn, that's high quality content. And because it's yeah. high quality content, you're like, oh, okay, somebody took the time to research this and explain it to me in a way that I may not have thought about it. Yeah, totally. I find it fun as like a, you know, <laughs> former like debate nerd who like can kind of get out of what I personally believe. And I don't know, I think that that can be good and bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes debaters lose sight of like the point of things is not just to argue, it's to like get to something that's true or whatever. Totally. But anyway, I think one skill from debate is it allows you to see things from different perspectives kind of easily. And uh, yeah, I love reading the dispatch, which is like a great Substack uh, publication like that. Yeah. That after, yeah, I don't... after you said it, I signed up for it. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, I think I it's like great. It. Yeah, yeah. 
the I podcast. Think you guys are too. very special in that regard. And probably <laughs> most Americans don't go out of their way to subscribe to things that they don't agree with. Yeah, I, I wrote a tweet about this maybe a month ago or so asking like, you know, in a world where people are subscribing to individual content creators mm-hmm. and things are subscription based, like how can we mitigate filter bubbles and people only being exposed to points of view that they agree with because by and large I think people are unlike you and are probably only going to pay for things that tend to corroborate their views and make them feel good. I agree and it's it's part of the reason that I added the profile dossier to the profile because every single week it's a different person and some weeks you may not agree with that person's views or whatever but you'll get to know them beyond just whatever headlines you've read, right? Um, That's why I think like these in-depth podcasts that some people do that are like three hours long, I probably would never want to hear from a certain political candidate. But when they do that podcast, I'm like, whoa, I had never, I I now understand where they're coming from and their view of the world. Because some people just like, I think, I think we're going to be shaped by the pandemic more than we know when we're old and your grandkids are going to be like, why are they so like, why do they wash their hands 80 times a day? And you'll be like, let me tell you about 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so true. It's, it's so interesting how people are like a product of, you know, the circumstances and like how we're shaped by it. I was listening to Tyler. This is like a tangent. But I was listening to Tyler Cowen's podcast with a lot of different people. I love his podcast, but he always asks them like, he he tries to situate them. He's like, oh, you're from like this region and you're like this kind of person. And like, what mm. are the ways in which that kind of culture influenced what you do now? And some people have like, they're like, yeah, totally. That's me. And other people are like, I don't know, I guess. Oh, now that I think of it, I guess I am shaped by that a little bit, but it's, it's so interesting how people can kind of like, yeah, be shaped by their paths. Um, just really quick. I, I wrote about this recently, but I, I had never seen it from this perspective. I, I talked to my dad about the protests in Belarus. This is very different from what's going on in the US right now, but my dad was like, oh my God, I just can't believe the government is telling us what to do now. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, this is, it's a, it's a pandemic, like, of course, and all this stuff. And he was like, because of his experience living through communism and not trusting the government, his distrust in authority and like the government and people, like politicians, he thinks that they are only doing it as like a self-serving grab for power. Maybe that's true now, but I don't come from the same, like we had wildly different perspectives on this. And it's probably because I haven't, you know, lived in an oppressive government situation back in the day. But it's just interesting how like, before you start arguing with somebody, maybe take the time to understand like why they feel the way they feel and why they have this like visceral reaction to some things you're like, literally, this is not a big deal. Yeah, totally. There's like the thing people say on Twitter or whatever that's like, who hurt you or whatever, which is like meant to be like a joke or whatever. But like, we've all been shaped by things, you know, like, and we're going to apply that in an overgeneralized way, probably. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like every single one of us. I have one last question for you, Paulina, before we turn it over to the audience. But, you know, in the time now that you've gone independent, I'm curious if you're seeing more and more journalists approach you asking for advice on, should I follow in your footsteps? (laughs) Would you recommend doing this? And I'm curious on whether you have any thoughts of, what type of individual or creator the independent path is well suited for versus those that may Mm. do well to stay at a larger media organization? Yeah. So I think that 
So I think that the biggest thing I've been surprised by is that I used to, I used to believe that reporters were reporters and business people were business people. Like I, I never had good examples of people who were once writers and were able to become like super successful entrepreneurs. I, I just didn't know that many and who had done it in a way that's like, like today, modern. And so I, I just always thought that like, if you were more creative, you have no business being and like crunching numbers and being in business and whatever. But I think what I've learned is that you can actually, you can definitely do both and you can train yourself. Like sometimes I have to just mentally be like, okay, hold on. <laughs> Am I thinking about this because as like Paulina the writer and I really want this to be like really great high quality or can I just like for one second consider this, like does this make sense for the profile of the business, you know, because sometimes like there's great opportunities that come my way and I'm just like, I would love to do this and I would love to freelance and I would love to do whatever for your, for your media company. But then it's like, I, I want to do that because I want to write and I love that. But at the same time, I'm not thinking about how, <laughs> how does this help the profile grow? So I think people who even if you don't see yourself that way, it is something that can be learned if you surround yourself with the right types of people. The reason I love the Type House, which is this Telegram group we're all part of, is because I get to see how like you guys think about it from a very like from a business sense, but also there's people who, you know, are totally like just like writers and people who just like operate in a different their their brain operates in a different way. So it's like if you want to surround if you want to become a certain type of person so if you're a journalist considering like do i want to go down this path my suggestion is to go in to put yourself into circles where that behavior that you want is the normal behavior because um i was telling somebody on a, on a different podcast like a lot of times when i said i want the newsletter to be a business like what do you think my family and friends because they love me and they want to like protect they're like oh that doesn't sound great and there's a pandemic and oh my god what are you doing but i spend all this energy and time explaining to them why it's a good idea whereas i can be spending my time and energy being in a group of people who already believe this thing and to them it's normal to do this and, and, and spend time like iterating and brainstorming with them. So I, I think if you're even like considering that, you should just put yourself in a situation where that's all people are talking about and then decide. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan and I often talk about how we both view ourselves as natural creators and creatives mm -hmm. and often lack the skill set required to succeed as operators in business because we're both dreadfully disorganized. But I completely agree with you that I think Lee, everyone that's needs a secret. I thought that was <laughs> <laughs> I'm revealing it on air now. We are yeah. both hopelessly disorganized. But the spot? solution okay. to that is just to have discipline and to constantly train ourselves like don't double book yourself. Like use your calendar app. Like exactly. take notes. Like make a to-do list. Like like some things come first nature to folks and other things don't. And I think, mm -hmm. yeah, no person in business has the entire range of skill sets probably to succeed as a business person, but it's just about surrounding yourself and training that discipline or, or supplementing your team with the people who can yeah. fill in those gaps. Exactly. Yeah. Know your blind spots. <laughs> totally. Well, we should, we should allow other people to ask questions. So just raise your hand. There's a feature in Zoom where you can raise your hand. I'm not exactly sure where it is. Oh, John. 
Hey, John, how's it going? Are you unmuted? We cannot hear you. Can you hear us? Oh, no, John. Oh, no. All right. We'll ask someone else. Who else wants to raise their hand? And maybe there's a ton to... of questions in well, the Q&A. I'm curious about one One that's in here is do you intend to have a podcast? I would love a profile podcast, oh. too. And how do you more generally, I guess, how do you think about choosing what to, there's so many things you could do? Like, how do you prioritize? Yes, I, I would love to. The only reason I haven't is because I don't want to be tied. I, I, I know what it takes to do something consistent. And I'm, I'm scared that if I start, the quality of the guest will go down because some days like I won't be able to get somebody I really want. And then you sacrifice here and there. And then and it's just like, I'm not sure. I want to do it right. And if I do it right, like I just want to make sure that I have a good sense of who I would want to interview, but for now, no, maybe, maybe in the future, or maybe it'll be a regular. Yeah, totally. John, if your audio works, looks like you're on mute now, but you weren't on it. Yeah, yeah, can okay. you hear me now? We can hear yeah. you now. How's it going? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Hey, everyone, uh, just huge fans of all of you. Uh, thanks oh, for putting this together. This is super interesting, especially for as a newsletter writer myself. So I'm curious, I think one of the most exciting things and things that I love about Substack and newsletters is it really puts um, product management in the hands of people who traditionally wouldn't have maybe gone down that path. And I'm just curious how you're thinking about that and try. I think there's obviously a blending of art and science and would just love to hear how all of you are kind of thinking about that and kind of managing your own products. Nathan, do you wanna, or Lee, you wanna start? <laughs> I mean, I could go. I'm very curious to hear your question or your answer. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll just very quickly say like, I think that it's, there's an interesting blend between making like editorial decisions at the like specific level of like, here, I'm doing stories, here's the kind of story I do, I'm gonna do another one. And then at the meta level of like, what are my formats and how do mm. I structure this? And like the, the, the thinking Paulina that you were doing about like, well, what even is a profile? How do I blow it up and like do something new that, you know, because it's like we're in this digital era, like why don't I do something totally different? It's like a great example of that, of kind of like the meta layer or whatever. And I, and I think that that's like a unique structure that doesn't exist so much in product. Cause like there's sort of like, if you're a product manager, you're mostly managing for formats and like the content or the mm -hmm. data or whatever that's flowing through it is a little bit more like abstract, you know, whereas there's like an integration where you control both of them when you're, when you're creating an editorial product. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm Pauline, I'm very curious what you think about this. Yeah. So I tried before Substack, I tried three different uh, platforms and the, the problem for me is that like, I'm not a design person. There's a lot of things I'm good at. Design is not one of them. And the thing that I appreciate, appreciated about Substack is that kind of, there was a constraint on what you could do. It was like, like preventing you from yourself a little bit. So so I like the simplicity. Uh, it went well with the profile format before. But like you said, like, if I want to experiment with new things, do I have to find another, like, what do I do? And the, the other thing is that I was listening to this interview with Tyler Perry yesterday, and he's so fascinating, but he was like, he was like, to his mom, she was like, just make sure you get a job with benefits, like make sure there are benefits. And to them, it's like, you've made it if you get uh, benefits. And I think a lot of the journalists that I've talked to are reluctant to quit their job because they don't, they don't, they're not going to get health insurance or legal help or whatever. And I think that if a platform like Substack does help fill in those gaps, you know, it'll become much smoother and less resistant for somebody to leave their job to go to a Substack, not as risky, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. Lee, do you have any thoughts? Well, I've never actually been, at least in in recent times, I haven't made my living from writing and, and creating directly. It's just something that I do really out of passion and out of personal interest and love. But I think this isn't just a, you know, a humble comment, but every time I wrote something at Andreessen and published it on the blog and it would do really, really well and like, you know, get picked up by all these news outlets or whatever, I think I would, I would always be really surprised because it was never my goal for a post to go viral or to be so widely read or to be, you know, to influence the lexicon and the vocabulary that people use. Like that was always an end result of my primary goal, which was just to serve the reader well and to give Mm. them information that would be helpful to them. And my- And and you reached somebody like me who at the time was like thinking about leaving their job and I read your post and I was like, duh. It's like the most amazing thing for a writer to hear that, to know that your writing touches people and actually impacts their decisions in their lives. Like that was always my goal through writing. And I always had this benchmark in my mind of like, do I want to take someone like someone's time out of their day, their most precious resource to read my writing? And if mm-hmm. I didn't felt like my own piece met that bar, then I wouldn't write it. I wouldn't publish it. And I've always held that bar for myself, which is why my newsletter only goes out once a month or once every two months. It's very infrequent. But like as a result of that, I think I've been told by so many other investors, like there's there's not quite another investor out there who writes in the same style mm-hmm. that you do. Like the, the content that you put out, it just, the tone it hits is so unique. And I think that's because I always start with the reader first and who, who are they? Who am I trying to reach? How am I trying to make their lives better? And everything else sort of flows from that and comes naturally. That's awesome. Love it. Oh, Sneha, I'll ask you to unmute. Yeah. Uh, when I'm a big fan of, uh, of what you write at Profiles, uh, and sometimes you play these really interesting games on uh, Twitter wherein you ask people to mention a topic that they would like to read about and you immediately ping uh, some of your favorite links on those topics. So I really want to know the secrets behind your organization <laughs> skills. Yeah, like how okay. How you manage to, yeah, go ahead. Like how you manage <laughs> to read and, you know, uh, pick those up uh, when you need them. Yes. Yeah, um, do you have like a beta of Neuralink or something like that? that <laughs> I wish. I know. <laughs> like in my head. So, so for context, that's a great question because I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. To somebody who may see it, it's like, oh, that's just a stupid little game she plays on Twitter. But actually, so, so what I do is every few months, I will say, let's play a game where you give me an idea or a topic you want to learn more about. And I'll respond with a profile where you can, it, that can help you learn more about this idea or topic. So the reason they do so well these these things is because it's a chance for me to show to like show off what I'm good at, right? Like I claim to read all these profiles. Do I actually like you can test my knowledge through this game? So a lot of it, frankly, is through memory. I have no idea. Just certain things stick with me. So if somebody says like Neuralink, I can immediately go and Tim Urban did like an amazing thing on Neuralink and Elon Musk. So off the top of my head, first thing I think of, some things are a little bit more nuanced. So one time somebody was like solo cups. 
And I was like, oh, but like I could remember, <laughs> <laughs> I could remember there was like some story about solo cups in the profile that I featured, but I couldn't remember what it was. Wait, what? So, <laughs> Not just like you had read in the background, you had featured a story about yes. solo cups in the yes. profile. <laughs> it was about the heir to the solo cup empire and like what they were doing. It was amazing, but it took me a while to figure it, to find it. Cause I was like going on like Substack archive then. Uh, Cause I use like three different email providers. I was yeah. also uh, Google like in my, email just like in quotes the profile solo cup and eventually I found it but I also use pocket to save articles um it's I think it's pocket.co and I just I save a bunch of articles uh I read them and then over time is the the search tool isn't the best but you can kind of kind of mess with it and find what you're looking for. But, but yeah, it's, it's really fun because it also like challenges me to think about more, more abstractly if somebody says, you know, love and I'm like, okay, what's one that like actually shows love and you can learn more about it through this one profile. Yeah. For love, I have to recommend Of Mice and Men, which I read. Oh. (laughs) And just the love that exists between George and Lenny is, uh. There you go. Tragic. (laughs) We can go off one of the questions. I like this one. What is the process you use to filter if a profile is worth including or not? Yeah. So there's a lot of really bad articles masquerading as profiles out there. Sometimes I'll be so excited to read a headline and then I click on it and like, never mind. But what I do is like during the week, I continue, I'm continuously reading and I have a widget on my browser. So I, I just like hit it and it adds it to my pocket. So whenever I see an interesting article, I just save it. And then when it comes time to reading them, I start by skimming. I skim the the beginning. Honestly, like Robert from the browser talks about this a lot. He says, as somebody who has good taste, you can tell from the lead of an article, the very beginning, whether it's going to grab you and whether it's going to be interesting. Some people just, I mean, they might have a great uh, story and a great subject, but they're not a great storyteller. And I really struggle with those because I'm like, do I include it? Because the subject's interesting, but the writing is just not good. It depends. But, but I, so basically I skim, then I narrow it down and I used to use Google Docs, but I finally converted to Notion. It's, it's good guys. It's kind of like Google Docs, but fancier. So, so I, I just throw links in there. So for example, right now I have a page uh, titled September 13th. And that's Sunday, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I just throw in like a few words. So there's a profile on Jane Fonda. So I just write Jane Fonda. And then I go back to it and I narrow it down to like 10 articles. And I genuinely sit down and I read them word for word, top to bottom. And then I, I synthesize it and decide whether it, it's really, really good uh, for the profile and I include it. Some weeks there's so many, so I have to save some for the following week. But yeah, it's a lot of skimming at first, getting rid of the bad ones. And by bad ones, I mean like, for example, there was one I was really excited about. It was on Taylor Swift. It wasn't a profile. They, mm. they didn't talk to anybody. It was just a reporter who watched the documentary and took some like of her quotes out of context and stitch wow. them together. And I was just like, eh, no, that, that doesn't count. So it just, it depends. Sometimes you know, a great profile can be written without ever talking to the person. Um, yeah. But the Sinatra one is a classic, Sinatra right? yeah, is yeah. like the profile of profiles. If you haven't read it, it's amazing. Yeah. This is some next level organizational abilities, by the way. I'm just in awe <laughs> listening to this. It's amazing. 
Somebody was like, there should be a bot for this. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I think you're one of the few pocket users who uses it and actually goes back and reads the stuff. That oh, really? like oh yeah. I, so, Most people uh, tell so when they when they told me like they send me a thing at the end of the uh at the year like here's how much you read this year and one of the things was like you were in the top like one percent of pocket readers i was like I'm <laughs> that's a one percent i can get behind you know yeah like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. the good kind yeah exactly <laughs> i like questions? this i like yeah. the question here about can you tell us about your media diet and mm. what you're typically reading on a daily or weekly basis? We'd love some recommendations. I read so much. So I, back from my fortune days, I'm subscribed to all the fortune newsletters and also a bunch of other ones like PitchBook. Surprisingly, PitchBook at the end, it's called PitchBook News. And at the end of the newsletter, they have like a long read section. They surprisingly have some really great profile. They do. The PitchBook newsletter, yeah. even though it's like, I think they could improve a lot about the aesthetics, but the content is really good. Oh my God. It's one of my favorite newsletters. PitchBook News is like crazy. And I... I subscribe to a lot of things like Morning Brew, 1440, like all, all, all sorts of things. Then there are the weekly newsletters. There's, there's one that I really like. It's my old boss at CNN when I was there. She, it's called My Sweet Dumb Brain. And it's basically about grief. The newsletter is kind of, you know, it's about grief. But mm -hmm. her husband uh, suddenly passed away, so she started writing it. But it's just, it, it's so good because it's like, it talks about things that touch grief and especially now with the with covid a lot of people are experiencing these weird feelings that they never had before and it's probably because like you're kind of like grieving a lot of things um happening in the world but i also i listen to a lot of podcasts and watch a lot of videos but i don't care about the platform it's on like i, I don't subscribe to like this one podcast i like looking it up based on the people I want to know more about. So for Tyler Perry, yesterday I watched something where he did an interview with Goldman Sachs at their summit. Like I would never be watching Goldman Sachs's like video content on YouTube, but because I was interested in him, it ended up being a good, interesting video. One time I talked to James Clear and mm, yeah. I, yeah, I love his writing because he's the type of person who literally, you can tell he's a precise like concise thinker and it translates into his writing. So I was asking him like, how, just how, how do you write? And he said that his writing suffers when he doesn't read enough during the week. And I find that that's so true for me. Like I don't, if I don't read enough of various different sources, I don't have enough ideas. And it just kind of like, it's not great, but obviously subscribe to Nathan in these newsletters. <laughs> it, yeah, just diversify your content diet. Find things that you don't agree with. Find things, just always, I don't care if you agree with it or not, just as long as the things are nuanced, they offer a little bit more perspective and they're high quality, you you can't lose. Totally. By the way, I'm throwing a link in the uh, chat. If you want a profile of sorts on uh, Paulina, that was written oh, by yeah. <laughs> my co-founder, Dan. It's, it's, I, think it, I think it's really good. I'm a little bit biased. It's but... more about my process. It's very, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. I was reading your interview with The Proof last night, too, The Proof yes. Wellness newsletter. It was also very good. I was impressed by your discipline around your bedtime. 
and your bedtime routine. Yes. Very admirable. <laughs> it's kind of gone out the window some days, but actually like the other day I slept for 11 hours. I was like, I don't know who I am and who I have become, but this is great. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think just breaking up your day, especially if you're working from home, I try to break it up with either like exercise or going on walks. I forget who, was it, was it Morgan Housel? He recently said that there's a difference between working out and going on a walk. He gets all his best ideas when he's walking. Working out, like you're kind of like, I mean, your mind's wandering, but you're like focused on doing something. When you're yeah. walking, it's just like, it, it, stuff marinates in your brain. So if you have time for like a quick workout during the day and then a walk at night, I think you're set. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the, of the nightly walk. Yeah, same, I'm, same. I'm a huge fan of it. Same. Wow, is that coincidental or is all of that? I don't know. Doing that? <laughs> Should we do one last question and then we'll yeah. wrap? Nathan, do you want to pick one? I mean, oh, there's a lot of good ones here. I think that you put me on the spot there, Lee. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I like this one. What is the last thing you changed your mind about? Yeah, it's probably the, the idea that profiles have to follow a certain format. Mm-hmm. Wait, can I can I answer one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you should pick. Sorry, why? No, 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 no. I, I just I saw this one. Uh, what is your favorite movie on journalism? There's oh, two. Um, one is called Shattered Glass. It's it's based mm. on a true story of Stephen Glass, who ended up like plagiarizing. He was an amazing writer. Everybody really admired him, and and ended up like ninety percent of his features were plagiarized. But he went to such oh great lengths to do it. It's insane that one and nothing but the truth also based on a true story about a woman who wouldn't give up her source and then ended up going to prison because our like sunshine laws don't exist on at the federal level so they're only state by state and she was held in contempt of court or justice or whatever and yeah and, and she went to prison but wow two very good ones <laughs> Wow. I thought the question that you were going to pick was, how does it feel to be a Twitter power couple? Oh, wait, I did not see that. <laughs> it's a lot of trolling. <laughs> it's so and a lot funny. of pizza photos. Yeah, a lot of pizza photos. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Polina, for being here. And thank you to all of the attendees for sharing your Friday afternoon with us. I hope that this was fun and enjoyable for everyone. I learned so much. So thanks again for being here. Thank you, guys. See ya. Right. Have a great weekend. Bye.